0: This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end of life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now with experienced hospice oncology and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien.
1: And welcome to this edition of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Today, our guest is a very special woman who does some great things. This is Linda Anello, and she is the community liaison for Vitas Hospice. Uh, I'm sorry, healthcare. But she does. She's going. We're going to talk about hospice today in Cincinnati, Ohio. Linda, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity, Suzanne.
1: Thank you. So we have had a few conversations and right away, I just loved you and I loved your compassionate heart and everything you said is really what I've been talking about for years, so I really wanted to have you on because you have, again, a very privileged place to be working within communities in your position for a wonderful organization, and I want you to share exactly your experiences, but also, can you first start out with sharing what a community liaison is?
0: Thank you. You're right, privilege is a good word, honored. Uh, I'm honored to have the position that I have, and it's a really unique position. so a liaison is a bridge, right? Mm. It's, a, it's a connection, a connector. Um, so as a liaison, my role is to go out into the community and connect the community with resources that we can provide at VITAS Healthcare. And so I do this in multiple ways. The really wonderful thing about VITAS is they have allowed me to be creative and mm. to kind of shape my role. And asked me, you know, and what what are my ideas for how to advance the conversation, in the way that it needs to go. And so that has been such a blessing. Um, So I do many things. Uh, Michael Hebb, Death Over Dinner, is one of the very first things that I implemented in Cincinnati. Started using his framework to lead some really great conversations about the end of life and about the fact that we're mortal. And let's, let's uh, embrace the fact that life is finite, right? It's transient. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do with this precious resource and how are we going to maximize it? Um, I also do continuing education. So I, I do a lot around advanced care planning. That's a big passion of mine. Uh, I do a lot of continuing education uh, presentations for the community and for our our, uh, partners in hospitals and nursing homes and home care agencies. And then what I have started doing, and um, it's been a little over a year now, and it's one of the the best things about my job, uh, such a privilege, is what's called the goals of care conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we get referrals from doctors, um, from nurses, from folks in the community, for these conversations. And what it is, is somebody is facing advancing illness. So they've been ill for some time and as their illness advances, it becomes more complicated and they start to face more challenging um, decisions. It's kind of evaluating the benefits of treatment versus the burdens of treatment. Mm -hmm. And at what point, at some point in that trajectory, we need to start thinking proactively about the future. What kind of decisions will we be facing? And we want to make sure that the patient's goals, values, and wishes are honored as they're going forward. We want to avoid people making decisions in a crisis moment Mm -hmm. when they don't have time to gather information, when they Mm -hmm. haven't got the emotional ability to stop things and really talk through and think through, okay, what are, we, what are our goals here? So you know what we've seen is people suffer needlessly at the end of life when they don't have the time to put these kinds of conversations together and, and these decisions made well in advance of needing to make them. So the goals of care conversation is a guided conversation that I do with patients and or with patients and families. To help them talk about how their journey has been going, what the future holds, what, what are their fears, um, what are their questions, do they fully understand their illness, their prognosis, uh, the decisions that are coming, and do they have enough information to make those decisions? Mm-hmm. And do they have an advanced care plan in place? You know, who mm-hmm. do, have they chosen a healthcare power of attorney? So all kinds of really important conversation pieces that we go through in that conversation.
1: Wow, so the first thing I, I wanna say is a VITAS sounds like a very progressive open organization and that is so wonderful and refreshing, so I commend that. And also Death Over Dinner, wonderful organization as well and bringing that in obviously is you know a progressive move and a conversation that we need to have. Everyone needs to have this conversation and as we know, And you said it, the finite life that we're in, the awareness that one day the journey will not be as we know it today allows us to have a very different perspective and gratitude for each day that we have. So there's so many benefits across the board with this. So I love that. So I'm I'm so happy to have this conversation. Um, From my background as that hospice nurse and the oncology nurse, which is my background, the decision-making and the quality of life. And again, you know what you might pick, Linda, for your quality of life and goals of care can be very different from what I would pick. And that's the beauty. There's no right or wrong, Um, and it is subjective. So it's something that we have to explore and talk about. And you said it, the time to have that is not when you're faced with crisis. Because you usually pick the wrong thing in crisis just because of what's happening. So, this is all extremely beautiful and important because right now, as you and I have discussed, that we really have this end of life that is very challenging for most people. In fact, death is the second leading fear in our country. And, you know, we haven't really supported our doctors in the training of this conversation, we've taught them how to fix things. You know, we've made these medical advances in the last hundred years that are amazing on one side, but we forgot to tell the doctors who might be the most important part of the equation here in guiding families and patients that death is a part of this life experience and that there is so much they can do to support somebody in that last phase. So we have discussed that we think it's a multifaceted approach to shifting the culture. Would you agree on that?
0: Certainly, yes. And so, you know, originally, I um, became aware of this problem. I used to be a recruiter, and I would interview nurses. Mm-hmm. And the nurses, one of the, my favorite questions to ask them during the interview, tell me about one of your most uh, difficult professional experiences, and then tell me one of your most rewarding. And over and over, consistently, I would hear similar stories. The most difficult professional experience, and they would cry in the interview when they would tell me about it, was performing aggressive treatment, CPR, life-saving treatment, on a very frail, very sick, elderly individual. And they would say, I would feel their ribs crushing as Uh, I was doing this. And I felt like I was torturing them. And they would say, you know, I went into nursing to help people and make a difference. And I didn't go into nursing to hurt people, but that's what I'm doing. And I'm realizing as I'm doing it, that it's futile and it's not going to help anybody. And so that was the most difficult professional experience. And then the most rewarding, often because they were coming to interview with me for a hospice role, I would hear, you know, I never thought I would be interested in hospice until my family member needed hospice care. And I saw what a profound difference that person or that company, that, that team, right? Mm-hmm. Was able to really make for me and my family and, and for my loved one. It was such a beautiful experience. I never knew death could be such a beautiful experience. And it transformed my idea of what dying is. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and that's why they wanted to come work for us. So I, I kept hearing that story. And eventually I thought, wow, this is a real problem and I want to be a part of the solution. So that's why I left recruiting to go into the liaison role, to be able to educate Mm -hmm. patients and families is what I thought, right? That's where I thought I needed to start talking to people about the decisions that they were making. But, I, but through the goals of care conversation, I've come to realize that we also need to pull doctors into this conversation because too often in my goals of care conversation, what I'm finding is patients who are going along with treatment and nobody is having a real critical thinking kind of discussion about it. It's just, this is the next treatment. So they just, and and, you know, sometimes I have elderly patients on dialysis and I say, you know, I ask them about the decision to go on dialysis and I hear, I didn't really make a decision. I was just, Mm -hmm. it just happened, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm seeing a lot of, there's not discussion happening here. It's just, we have something to offer, Here's the next thing and we offer it. Well, there's a lot of great interventions that were developed for certain cases, certain scenarios where they make sense that they're not really making sense across the board. As advanced illness is happening, some of these interventions only add suffering and don't add quality of life or length of life. So we need to step back and look at the bigger picture and take a more, you know, critical thinking stance, you know, does it make sense to do this? Yeah. And what, what are the pros and what are the cons? Yeah. I've also experienced um, patients who are getting really advanced treatment um, because they think that there's a goal, right? There's a, in the goals of care conversation, we talk about what are your goals for treatment? and so they're they're suffering through for example chemotherapy because there's an end goal in sight but what they don't realize in some cases is their goals are not achievable they're not realistic goals mm-hmm. so that's important if you're suffering through a treatment that's not going to give you what you're suffering for right then you're really just robbing yourself of precious time mm-hmm. And, and moments with your family and your, and your last days are spent suffering when they could be spent being comfortable and having wonderful conversations of closure and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's great to pursue advanced treatment if you know what you're going to get out of it. But if you have the idea that you're getting something out of it and, and the doctor knows that that's probably not going to happen, then there needs to be a conversation that let's have realistic goals and achievable goals right
1: yeah so let's start there because i think that is a major piece to obviously what's happening here um our wonderful doctors who we know that our healthcare professionals are under so much stress in general these days not only because of what we have going on in our world at the present moment, but just healthcare in general has changed so much where they are you know, um, supposed to see so many different patients, have very little time with each patient. It's really hard to watch. So for me, and again, I come from an oncology nurse background and a hospice nurse background. When my doctors in oncology would have a patient die, um, even if that patient was a hundred years old and had cancer all over, they would literally walk down the hallway like they failed. Right. And, I, and I thought, where did this come from? And what have we done to our doctors saying that, because we know hundred percent we're all going to have end of life at some point. How did we ever put a label on them as failure when a person dies, no matter what the circumstances are. So I think we have to go back and say, wait a minute you know we have trained our doctors how to fix it with blinders on and not given them any room here for that beautiful end of life support conversation education and knowing that it is a natural part and will one day happen and that it's not a failure it could exactly. be one of the it could be one of the biggest triumphs of their whole career supporting that patient and family yes so how would you and i what what could we say to hopefully support doctors in having a real conversation. And I, I personally think it's those choices because I think giving patients choices allows them to be in control. You go, choice A might be the aggressive treatment, type choice B might be no treatment at all, and C might be, you know, a partial, it depends. Um,
0: well, and the challenges, is, um, so oftentimes doctors will give choices But they don't put it into a context. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't help the patient think through each choice Mm -hmm. and based on their particular disease state and where they are in their disease, this choice looks different, you know, early on in the disease compared to maybe later in the disease. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, and you know, I think part of it is time. Like you said, they don't have a lot of time. They have mm. too much going on. Part of it is a big part of it is training. And I think that they mm. really need that training to happen early in there and earlier it, when they're learning, but also more, more than once. And it needs to be a real yeah. because even any kind of training that you get, really you learn by doing, you know? And so with me, every mm. goals of care conversation that I have, I learn something new and I get better. And sure. I, you know, have, and these patients and the things that they're saying are so profound and they're really teaching me, you know, with each conversation. I had a patient one time who said to me, he he, he was going through a lot. He had so much going on and he was in so much pain and he was afraid. Um, and he said to me, you know, I'm afraid to live because living is really I don't know what's going to happen next. It's painful and scary to live,
1: mm. but I'm afraid
0: to die because I don't know what that experience is going to be like. It's so uncertain and I'm afraid of it. And so, you know, a, a lot of the conversation is just having them share what they're thinking and feeling, and they don't have an opportunity often to share those things with like, for example, yeah. The family. Yeah it's hard for their family to hear. Huh. So it was really cathartic for him to talk through it with me. Well, he ended up making the decision that he wanted to stop this aggressive treatment and he wanted to take advantage of hospice care. And he, and it was him and his sister was there and they were both really relieved and they both felt really good about their decision. Mm-hmm. Well, then somebody from the hospital comes in and, and finds out that I'm there helping them get, paperwork for hospice started. And she made some comment like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You have plenty of life left. And, you know, what a shame. Basically, she made him feel that he was making the wrong decision. And she felt like we were giving up on him. And it was just, it was sad Mm. to hear that kind of, you know, invalidation of his decision. And he was angry after she left the room. Um, But, you know, it's not giving up. And that's the thing that people need to understand. It's switching gears. It's Mm -hmm. the goal of his life at that point was to be comfortable, to have good conversations with his sister, not to be constantly going to procedure after procedure and be recovering and all of that. And on pain medication constantly Mm -hmm. because of each procedure and worried about infections from Mm -hmm. each procedure, Ah. you know? So, you know, it's, It's, uh, and, and sometimes and often patients live longer with good hospice Mm -hmm. care than they would if they continued all of that aggressive treatment. So it's just a lot of, um, misunderstanding out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that we need to just keep having more and more conversations with clinical staff, Mm -hmm. with, with community folks everywhere we can to help people see that hospice is not about giving up and, um, it's about life. It's about quality of life and it's about doing things that matter. Mm. You know, I've, I've heard some really touching and beautiful stories about the end of life. There was one that I heard recently about a guy who was a big sports fan and his, you know, bed was in the living room while the his favorite team was playing on the television and his whole family was around him. This was before COVID, of course. Um, they were watching this team and like his, his team scored the winning touchdown right before he passed, you know? And they were cheering and it was so wonderful that that was what he heard when he was passing away, you know, his cheering and his family and the sports team and things that gave his life meaning instead of being in a hospital, unable to be with his family and experiencing really aggressive treatment, you know, they Thank gave you. him a beautiful ending. And, you know, the, your life is a story. And the, and the story, when you think about a really good story, the ending really matters. I mean, yeah. that is really important in a story. So when I'm talking to people about their goals for um, their life and how their life will end, I always ask them, how do you want your story to end? And it's about empowering people to proactively make choices about that instead yeah. of being carried away by a system that says, we're going to do this next, and we're going to do this next. And you're just part on the train, you know? Yeah. No, we'll stop the train for a minute. I want to get off. You know, I want to choose how my story ends. I want to be empowered to make those choices and have my story end according to my values, my goals.
1: You know? it's, your, it's your story
0: right exactly
1: so i i love this so um so for the doctors we have to understand that they need support and training within this dynamic and they have to be not told that a patient dies it's a failure so that's i think one of the first things with doctors but when we talk about choices and we know doctors don't have a lot of time to have the conversation you know to shift this culture honestly begins with you and me and not us as practitioners us as human beings thinking about this, thinking about what quality of life is to me, thinking about my story and where do I want to be and how would that, you know, what does that look like for me and doing advanced directives and having my family conversation. But also when you talk about questions. And so when they tell you you have choice A, but they're not giving you the rationale behind that. Well, here are the questions that are so important. If I pick door number A or whatever it is, How much time with what my disease process is? What does that look like? What kind of side effects can I expect? These are all important questions to ask your practitioner for you to make that informed decision if you want to go through door number A. And we both know, because we've worked in this, that nine out of 10 people say they wanna be home at the end of life. Mm -hmm. And this was happening in the oncology unit. I'd have so many people say to me, why am I here? Why am I getting this treatment? I just want to go home. And it confused me so much and broke my heart because a lot of them would end up dying anyway without that last time. So we have a whole list of questions that we um, share with people to ask their practitioners if they are faced with a serious illness. And I think it's extremely important for us to share that with people, that it's our duty for ourselves and our family to do, yeah, to do yeah. the, and, and think what quality of life is. And I have so many patients from hospice that live longer than they thought because of the close symptom management and the high quality of each day. And I think that's the goal. That should be the goal for all healthcare is just high quality. But it's amazing how people, when they're happy and doing well, um, they they live a lot longer. And it's so incredible to watch the magical moments that they have.
0: Right. And when, when you talk about asking questions, you know, when we talk about treatment options, we often say what the best, best case scenario is or what the treatment could possibly give them. But but how often do we say what the downsides are? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do we look at what is it going to cost me if I make that decision? Mm-hmm. Dialysis is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. You know, do yeah. people understand what the quality of their life is going to be like on dialysis? Or right. If they don't have dialysis, what does that look like? You know, so just mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, tough conversations. And I think people are afraid to ask questions sometimes, or they don't know what's a, what to ask or if they're allowed to ask. Um, so I, I think we really have to depend on the physicians and the nurses, you know, the clinical team to help them think through the pros and cons of each decision. And, you know, that's where, that's where I think the most impact is going to be made.
1: Yeah, I agree, but I also think that for uh, community outreach, and we do a ton of that with doula givers, is and starting the conversation when we're not at that place, and exploring what things are, because I know that this changes the game so much, and it allows us to, in a safe place, say, well, what would happen if I did do that, because I'm not in that position. So people say, oh, that's what, okay. Um, So the conversation before, way before, has a big impact on how well the end goes. Absolutely.
0: That's huge. And, and it's not one conversation. It's Mm -hmm. an evolving conversation. Correct. So, you know, looking for, uh, teaching, teachable moments or, you know, things that you watch a movie Mm -hmm. and and based on that movie, it starts a conversation or you see somebody else that is close to you. So one of the things we do with the goals of care conversations, we help them talk through people who've been close to them, who've passed away and what went well and what didn't go so well, Mm -hmm. because that teaches us when we see other people's death, that helps us to know, okay, I wouldn't have wanted that, or that was a really nice ending. I like what they did, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just definitely early conversations and frequent conversations.
1: Love that. So we know that doctors, we need to support them with the training and not say that somebody failed if they died. So that's one thing that we have to work on with them. We need to do our advanced directives and have this conversation as a society because here's the thing, and we said this in the very beginning, end of life used to be actually be revered as a sacred part of the life's journey and it can go incredibly beautifully well. I've seen some of the most beautiful end of life with love and family and closure and forgiveness and all of the wonderful things. And then the third element is beautiful hospice. So can you please share what hospice is and what they do for people?
0: Yes, I will. But before I do, let me say one thing. Um, The thing that you said about doctors not not feeling like they are a failure. Mm -hmm. That also happens with families and patients, right? We -hmm. have this mentality of fight, fight, win, beat, beat this, right? And so then when they want to switch gears and focus on quality of life and ending their life peacefully, uh, we can't have the image that they're giving up, that they're That they're not you know a warrior or whatever you know so it's really important to change the words that we use in society
1: a thousand percent we have to change the language that we're using because you're right subconsciously and consciously it is so damaging that they and this is what you hear they lost their battle with cancer right what battle it's an unfair fight this isn't you know these are natural things and so you're right it makes the person saying people will say to that wonderful, beautiful person. Don't give up, keep fighting. And they're just, it's a losing battle. I mean, it's not a battle. It's just an, it's just an, an end of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. And yes, we have to really consciously start to, and, and for doctors even to come into rooms and say, I'm sorry, there's no, there's no more I can do for you. That is so untrue. Number one, there's so much I can do for you. This is where we shift our focus on comfort and support and not only for you but for your family right. so that's a great lead into hospice
0: right and the thing too about words um and so i see this and you see this on facebook all the time somebody posts on facebook my loved one is um going into hospice program and the responses are oh that's terrible oh that's i'm so sorry to hear that mm-hmm. and i hate to see that because honestly mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing and you know what happens is so many people avoid it and and put it off and take advantage of that service way too late and miss out on so many benefits because there's this idea of hospice that is a negative thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, so hospice you know, you need to have a prognosis. Two physicians need to say that you could die within the next six months. You have a terminal illness. And if it takes its normal course, that could lead to your death in the, in the next six months. But the thing is, we know it doesn't always happen, right? It's not right. always so predictable. So we have had hospice patients who've lived much longer than six months. So that's one thing um, that people, th- a lot of times when they think of hospice, they think of the last few days or the last few weeks, when really they could have supportive care for many months mm-hmm. and that they could benefit from and their families. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, when you get a whole team of, of loving, caring, knowledgeable people who are experts in pain and symptom management, experts in in grief and and supporting patients at during this really, you know, this transition is, is really a big challenge for the patients and families. Um, so, you have a chaplain and a social worker, and you have aides and nurses on the team. You have wonderful volunteers that are a big part of the team. Um, the hospice, you know, the, the palliative care physicians who are so knowledgeable about pain and symptom management. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a whole team there supporting mm-hmm. the patient and the family throughout the process, um, as the illness progresses through the end of life and beyond, supporting the family with bereavement services for 13 months or more. So it's just such a help and people don't realize too, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, it's 100% covered. It's a benefit that they're entitled to that covers um, medications, equipment, supplies, the caregiving team. They have 24/7 access to someone that they can call you know, I mean, if if they're at home and there's an exacerbation, they don't have to take go to the ER in the middle of the night. They can call and the team comes to them. It's just such a beautiful supportive service. and it's just sad to me that people struggle uh, with their care for their loved ones when they could have that help, and they just keep struggling and and they take advantage of it so late. and then you often hear, "Oh, I wish we would have called sooner." What a, what a help this has been, you know? Yeah. So we definitely need to change the mindset about hospice and about yeah. the end of life. It is yeah. a good time.
1: Absolutely. And, and I have to say that, yes, when, you know, and again, coming from oncology, and the reason I became an oncology nurse is so that I could really see what people um, were given as far as support and all of what went before they got to hospice so I could be a better practitioner. I absolutely adore hospice. And... You know, I am a huge champion. It started me on understanding the minute that I was in there and seeing how wonderful that holistic model of care and support is, that people didn't understand what hospice does. um, And I wanted to get out and champion for, because end of life will happen and it can go, we only have one opportunity to have it go well. And so with this wonderful service, you can have um, this happen at home. So You know, I've been educating ever since, and it's led to, again, this end of life doula movement. um, Because part of what I was saying is that sometimes families at home are very scared. They are, again, death is, you know, the second leading fear. Um, People want to be in the home environment. And I felt like sometimes I wanted to be there for longer periods of time than was uh, we were able. And I kept going to, you know, my CEOs and talking and it just doesn't fit into the reimbursement structure. It can get very, because our medical system is very challenging. So developing a non-medical practitioner that can support both patient and family and, and also hospice Mm-hmm. Seemed like a wonderful, just like a birthing doula, but for the end of life, mm-hmm. seemed like a wonderful option, and it has really taken off. What do you feel about the doula giver, end of life doula?
0: I love that. I, that's a beautiful concept. You know, mm-hmm. I love the concept of a doula at the beginning of life too. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just you know, someone who studies and and the more experience that you have with each each a doula, the more experience she has with each birth. Mm -hmm. A death, with each death Mm -hmm. you learn what things can can go well and you know if a family's experiencing this death this is a first death in their family Mm -hmm. they're going through this for the first time they they don't know what they don't know right you having this experience this wealth Mm -hmm. of experience can say to them here's what we can do things Mm -hmm. that they would never have thought of you know right Right. them them and what you said is so important you, you only have one chance to do it right. Mm-hmm. And, and doing it right, you know, really affects the, the loved ones who survive, who live mm-hmm. on their grieving process, their memories. I mean, you know, it's going to be sad to lose someone, but when you can lose someone with this beautiful um, mm-hmm. send off, you know, mm-hmm. man, that really changes your experience of grief. Right. Yes. So I think it's value, very valuable, very important, and I do think death is sacred, just like birth is sacred. You think about when people are born; we spend at least nine months or more, mm-hmm. right? Preparing. Mm-hmm. There's so much that we do to prepare for that. We go to classes, right? Yeah. We ready. Um, we read books and all of, it. but you know, we don't do that. We don't. Not many people do that for the end of life, and it's just as
1: important. Absolutely, and I just want to share it, when I was a hospice nurse, there were multiple times that I would come to the patient's home um, who had died in the night and or whenever they did and uh, or come there and the family would greet me at the door and say, we just have to show you and tell you how this all went. It's like excited, like happy because it was so beautiful. That they will be left with for the rest of their lives. And that is the support of hospice and the right care at home. And that is a gift that is absolutely priceless.
0: That's right. And you know, uh, I always heard from our nurses, you know, it's the most rewarding field. I mean, people who actually are meant to work in this field mm-hmm. couldn't imagine not doing it because it's so rewarding because you make such an impact you know, at the most precious time in someone's yeah. life, you're you're making such an impact. It's beautiful
1: work. It's unbelievable. It, it connects us, I think, at the highest level of humanity is being yeah. in this experience together. So it's such an honor to be part of that team. So I think we've really covered that, you know, to shift this culture that we're in right now. It's a multi phased approach with supporting our doctors with the conversation and how to do this by encouraging and sharing with one another that we need to figure out what our wishes would be or not be. And also knowing that end of life is a natural part of this journey and that it can go extremely well um, mm-hmm. is part of it. And then of course, that there's this beautiful support system of hospice. And the earlier that you have that support system, the really I've seen the better that the end of life can go. So to utilize them. And then you have obviously doulas now that can help the hospice team and the patient if they want more time. So yeah. we're, ge- we're getting there. And I think you're absolutely wonderful.
0: You too. Thank you. I love what you're doing. Thank you very much. Learn more about it. It's it's a new, very cutting, you know, leading edge kind of um, service. Yeah, it's
1: going to be growing very fast. And it has. It's it's and it's global. So it's amazing to see the difference that we're making um, all over the world because again, this connects us all over the world. So it is beautiful. And now the NHPCO has the Life Dealer Council that they put together in June of 2018. Oh yeah, so so they're showing that that role of the end of life doula is a part of that care team. So I think that the future looks very bright and and beautiful. So again, I really applaud you and your organization. So once again, it's Linda Anello, and she's from Vitas Healthcare, and that's in Cincinnati, Ohio, because that's a big organization that does so much. Um, yeah, so we,
0: we are nationwide, actually. I work in yeah. Cincinnati. But yeah. we are the nation's largest provider of hospice services.
1: Oh, yes. But we have the Cincinnati, Ohio woman here on this. And so, <laughs> again, we, we really want to commend the progressive way that they are open to doing because that's where the change really does happen. So anything you'd like to share before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the
0: beautiful work you're doing. Um, we're, we're together making a difference in how people live and, and die. So that's very important work. And I'm happy to be a part of the community
1: with you. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. This is Ask a Deaf Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Thank you for being on this episode and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.